Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Willoughby Dodds, a filmmaker in the D.C. area, and with me are... I'm Pai Chen Bui, a USA Today contributor and a pop culture journalist in D.C. And today we have a guest from another podcast from the website Awkward Human and the podcast What I Watched Last Night, um, Melanie German. Uh, Melanie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, um, I've been doing the Awkward Human podcast now for a couple of months. And I really love everybody in the network. What I watched last night is just sort of where we talk about all things pop culture, but we try to focus on different topics each week, a little bit like this one. Um, and I'm really excited to be here because this is one of my favorite things to talk about ever. Yes, <laughs> pop culture and specifically Daredevil. Yes. Um, before we get into the topic, I just want to say Melanie was also a former classmate of ours, also in the 70s, uh, Hollywood in the 70s class that we all met in. Um, and she was actually on Willoughby's floor in like sophomore year. Yeah, I think sophomore so. year. Like that. Yeah. yeah, McDowell 3. <laughs> yeah, and we all met through like a Doctor Who viewing, I think. Yes, and, like, I think so. I think so. Yeah, yeah, we bonded over that. Okay. So, the topic for today is Daredevil. The second season of the Marvel Netflix show is coming out March 18th. Um, that's in five days from when we're recording this podcast. Uh, Melanie, I know, is like is a huge fan of Daredevil. Uh, so, let's get started to talk about it. Um, what are you guys expecting slash uh, looking forward to in season two? I have a lot of hope. I had a lot of hopes for Jessica Jones that mm-hmm. were obviously met and then some were dashed. The mm-hmm. only one that I wanted for Jessica Jones was I wanted a Nelson and Murdoch bus ad or like yes. some kind of cameo, just anything. And I was really glad that if you haven't seen Jessica Jones yet, spoiler alert, that we got Claire mm-hmm. in the end of Jessica Jones. But I was still like, ah, I want more synchronicity. I want a little more crossovers with my Hell's Kitchen neighbors and... I'm hoping, just hoping, that there's some kind of reference to the fact that Jessica exists. Like, Yeah. It seems like the shows are, like, more separate than we thought they would be. Yeah. Well, the thing about Jessica Jones that kind of weirded me out was that, like, you think that the bombings of Hell's Kitchen that happened in season one of Daredevil would be, like, big news, obviously, Mm -hmm. because it happened in her neighborhood. So I'm not sure about the timeline on when those shows line up. Mm -hmm. Um, But it sounds like season two happens at least a three to six months after the end of Daredevil season one. Yeah. And it's, uh, I think, I mean, it's clear that Claire is part of, it's like in her involvement in Jessica Jones took place after Daredevil season one. Mm -hmm. So it is interesting that, that the bombings were never brought up, Mm -hmm. but it's also possible that Jessica doesn't care (laughs) and that she is so like in her own little world, in a physical sense and a, and like a larger Marvel sense that all she cares about is who she cares about and what she's doing with her life. So it's possible that, uh, you know, the events of Daredevil just completely flew by her, except like, obviously she knows about the, like the battle of New York cause that's a huge thing that happened. But, mm-hmm. um, and like the, and like the major Avengers heroes are, she knows them or she knows of them. Mm-hmm. But like, I think for the most part, and I think this is like the philosophy of the Marvel Netflix shows is that they try to be very separate, mm-hmm. um, which can be a little weird when you're when we know that like the long term plan is for a Defenders miniseries with all these mm-hmm. characters. So you would think that they would start interacting with each other. Mm-hmm. But in my head, I think Claire is going to be like the uniting force behind all of them mm-hmm. because she's shown up in in Daredevil and Jessica Jones. 
I'm pretty sure she's going to be in Luke Cage. Oh, she's in, like, all the Luke Cage filming photos. Yeah. So, so she's <laughs> she's definitely going to be in that. Iron Fist, that's, like, the one, like, who knows. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in The Defenders, she, you know, I think she'll hopefully have a major part in that. So right now, I think Daredevil t- Season 2 um, is probably going to be a little bit maybe larger in the universe mm-hmm. because I feel like with The Punisher and Elektra, like, there's more characters. There's more... More sh- more stuff is going to go down, and I think that you know characters like Jessica Jones and Luke Cage and Claire are going to have to react to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess they're saving their big team up and like any interaction between them for the Defenders miniseries. Yeah, um, but we have to get there at some point. Yeah, they have exactly. to know each other before that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully. Well, maybe we'll see. <laughs> um, and I know that like in terms of Marvel's original plan for like these series, they're just going to do like one season for each character and, like, then team them up. But now, like, because Daredevil was so popular, they got a second season, and Jessica Jones was um, approved for a second season, too. So do you think that kind of, like, throws a wrench in the very tight, the wound plan that I don't has? know what Netflix is thinking with their renewal schedule, because I mm-hmm. heard they renewed Fuller House. Yeah, <laughs> I, and, you know, they never give up their ratings, and that's yeah. kind of a weird... Yeah. So it's like, okay, I mean, I'll always take more Jessica Jones and Daredevil. But at a certain point, like, you have to have a place where the story is going to go. And so, like, obviously the team-up and the Defenders series makes sense as, like, Mm -hmm. that logical end point. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure if they're pushing back the Defenders or if they're having season two of Jessica Jones and probably a season two of Luke Cage uh, incorporate what's going to happen in the... Uh, the meetup or not so I'll be interested to see it from a production angle Mm -hmm. but I'm reserving judgment on that for now yeah I don't know it's really interesting because I feel like the Netflix shows really are like that in between between like the corporate and creative in terms of Marvel like they're really struggling between those two like it's the strongest creatively that Marvel has been Um, Mm -hmm. and like so Marvel I guess doesn't know how to bring that into, like, their sort of more the wider, world. yeah, the corporate, more wider universe. This sounds like, this all starting to sound a little businessy. So, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if you, if you look at the ABC lineup, you've got Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That's, that's been renewed for mm-hmm. season four. Mm-hmm. Agent Carter is still up in the air. Haley Atwell has a new show that she's going to be, the pilot, be mm-hmm. filming a pilot for. So if that's, you know, brought into ABC's lineup, that may that may mean Agent Carter's out of, out of the window. Mm-hmm. Um so we just don't – so we see how ABC works, and Netflix is kind of interesting where you think that, you know, that they're so, you know, not against the system, mm-hmm. or you think they are because, you know, their their shows are so HBO, like H, so Showtime, so not cable or not network cable mm-hmm. that you think that, uh, you know, it, anything could happen or that they're so creative, but then they're pushed into this weird market of, like, well, now we need to – now that this is a hit, let's do more of it. Mm-hmm. So now we have to wonder, do we want more of it? And of course we do, but do we need more of it? Yeah. That's exactly. another question. It's like, when's the end point? Like, even now with, like, the Defenders miniseries being, like, mm-hmm. the supposed end point, and Netflix's um, unpredictable renewal schedule, like, is that the end point? We don't know. I guess yeah. I would, I'd welcome more. I'm fine with that. But, yeah, it's kind of no really end in sight, which, you I, know, I'm, 
Yeah. I just remember the big question everybody kept asking Charlie Cox on last year's press tour was like, are you going to be in Civil War? And he's mm-hmm. like, I wish. Like, I that know. would be super cool. But the more I think about it, the more that would absolutely not make sense for Daredevil to just, like, show up in the parking lot that they have this Civil War fight in, <laughs> judging from the trailer. And then they probably – it would be, like, a DC thing. They probably wouldn't even hire Charlie Cox to do it because there's all these weird licensing in between. So, I don't know. <laughs> this is the pros and cons of having, like, that extended, that expanded Marvel universe. Like, yeah. can only do so much or, like, keep this property separate. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's segue a little bit from, like, our business talk. As, in, as fun as it is. I'm actually having a lot of fun with that. Um, let's talk about, like, the specific storylines in season two. So, we have, we've touched this, on this a little bit. We have Elektra. We have Punisher. Um, and those are, like, the two main sort of villains in season mm-hmm. two that we're being introduced to. Villains is a strong word. But yeah. Loose term, yeah. Yeah, loose term. Um, so Punisher seems to be, like, I guess the main antagonist yeah. for now. Yeah. Yeah, he seems to be going against what Derek... Like, they seem to be wanting the same thing, just going in very different ways. Yeah. And he's definitely more, like, revenge-driven, too. But what is he um, seeking vengeance for or seeking against? In the comics, I know that he was a Marine whose family witnessed a mob hit and then was killed for that. Um, I don't know what they're going to adapt it to now. From what I've read about pre-reviews, it sounds like they're going to tie it in with like the police brutality kind of current events thing that's happening in the news. But um, we'll obviously see in five days. Yeah. Um, I'm excited. Everything I've heard sounds really great about it. And... Punisher, obviously, as we've seen with the movie Warzone, it's really easy to either kind of go way over the top with it or to just not get it right. So I'm glad that John Bernthal is helming the course. Mm-hmm. He's a great actor. Like, I did not like him in Walking Dead because he's playing a very <laughs> unlikable character. But like, I think that he's really good in like that kind of like Frank Castle type of role. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited for to see him in this. I'm like, oh, he always pleasantly surprised me in every every movie that he's in. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, John Bernthal, anything you want to say? Uh, I, personally, I think the Punisher is, a, is like, a, too dark of a character for me at some points, but I understand that with Daredevil, like, you know, dark characters are the norm, mm-hmm. and Daredevil does a really good job of being gritty, but not for the sake of being gritty. Yeah. It, that's just, like, how the, how the style of the show is. Mm-hmm. So, a Punisher is a natural fit, so... Part of me is like, eh, it's the Punisher, but another part of me is excited to see what they can do with him. Mm-hmm. Because, the, because like Melanie said, there have been, like, two movies that have just been kind of weird about the character of the Punisher and, like, the, mm-hmm. and that. So I'm excited to see, now that Marvel has, like, has, like, a real, like, plan with their, with their characters, like, they don't just make movies to have movies, like, there is, like, a storyline going on. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see, like, what the Punisher is, is like, not is going to do and also what he's like going to represent because that's another thing about the daredevil series is that characters always represent like a dichotomy between the two like in season one you had wilson fisk and you had daredevil and they basically wanted the same exact thing Mm -hmm. but they and you know a lot of people talk about how you know uh that they're just basically two sides of the same coin Mm -hmm. um and i mean it's interesting it's gonna be interesting to see if the punisher is going to be another part of that coin or if he's going to do something entirely different 
Mm. Well, that's what I think makes uh, the introduction of Electra so cool. It's because the Punisher and Matt clearly operate on kind of the similar spectrum of mortal or morality. Just like you know, Matt obviously agrees that there are people who've done bad and must be punished, mm. uh, but he doesn't go as far as the Punisher does. The thing about Electra is she's almost from like a completely different moral universe. Like in her idea of everything, it's like revenge is key, honor is key. Um, she's it's almost like there's no good way that she and Matt can ever kind of reconcile their issues because they don't speak the same language of what their <laughs> issues are. Mm-hmm. And I thought I find that inability to figure it out really compelling for a relationship. And based on the second trailer we got, which was entirely Matt and Electra interacting, I am so excited for Elodie Young because she can literally kick his butt. Uh, Elodie can kick Charlie's butt. Like she's a real black belt in everything. Um, this Electra is like better than anything I could have ever asked for. I hope Frank Miller cries. <laughs> <laughs> like, right, because um, he's the one who started her like tragic arc in the comics. Right, he made her. Oh, he did. Okay. He like created her from nothing. Basically, he like wrote her for uh, it was it wasn't Daredevil Origins, but it was like, something like that. And mm-hmm. then um, he put her on all these crazy like tragic backstory spins and mm-hmm. we've been struggling to get her right ever since yeah like i i think we can all agree that she wasn't that great in the daredevil movie starring ben affleck and jennifer garner yeah. and, and then also the electra movies <laughs> yeah. yeah um i don't know much about elodie young um i don't i think i saw like that one scene that she had in gi joe uh, so i don't know how great of an actor she is but i think she seemed pretty good in the trailer mm-hmm. um and i i really like that yeah they're bringing a person of color in to play Electra as well. And, yeah, um, yeah their, their chemistry seems great. I, I think that, yeah, she looks badass. So, <laughs> um, yeah, and she, it seems like her storyline is more tied in with um, the hand, which we saw a glimpse of, like, in the first season. And it seemed that part seemed like the most comic book of, like, the first season, so it seemed like it stood out a little bit. But I think it'll, like, I guess, tie in more in the second season. And if anything in this, in any show, is going to tie in with Iron Fist, it's mm-hmm. going to be the weird kind of magic ninjas that happen because Iron Fist is very much like, Daredevil, you can ground in reality. Iron Fist, you've got to do a lot of explaining because it's like, well, he punched a dragon in the heart. <laughs> now he's really good at martial arts. And exactly. He has all this power and you're like, okay, it's a little different, but I think Daredevil is trying to prep us for that. Okay. It's almost like, like, if you equate it to the to the movies, it's like we have Iron Man, we have Captain America, and then we have Thor, who is completely from a different world, coming in like with magic and science and all that kind of jazz. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting how they're kind of taking a very similar aspect to that, where you're taking the most like quote unquote grounded character, and then Jessica Jones is a, a less grounded because she's got superpowers, and then uh, Luke Cage also has superpowers. It's like you're finally building up to like the most comic booky version of the Netflix shows, which would be Iron Fist, and then you get Defenders. Yeah, and Marvel up until now, like even in the especially in the movies, but even in the shows, they only like explain these um, fantastic happenings through science. Like, you know, mm-hmm. Jessica Jones got her powers through science, so did Luke Cage, so did Daredevil. Um, and then like, you know, the Thor's whole explanation is like Magic is just the, another yeah. word for science or something. But now, I guess... It's hand-wavy science. Yeah. <laughs> now, that, now that we're getting Doctor Strange... Doctor Strange and Iron Fist. And Iron Fist. Yeah. Like, it's, like magic is that. going to be, like, legitimately real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Which will be an interesting twist in the Marvel Universe, because before this, it's like alien invasion was the craziest thing that has happened. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. the fact that this is coming up is like, well, let's see if Phase 4 is going to be a thing. Yeah, Phase 4 will be all magic, which I'm excited for. But speaking about Iron Fist, I have some things to complain about. Oh, please. (laughs) Your complaints are mine. Yes. I think we're all in agreement with this, but um, there is recently news that Iron Fist was cast. Um, and he was is going to be played by Finn Jones, who plays Loras Terrell in Game of Thrones. <laughs> the Knight of Flowers. Yes. Um, and he's like the whitest person that you could yeah. possibly Just cast. mayonnaise slapped on white bread. And to be yeah. fair, like Iron Fist was like a white, privileged, uh, blonde guy in the beginning. Like in the comics, that's how he, his origin is. And like it kind of played into like this whole martial arts, sort of black exploitation craze that was happening in the 70s. And they kind of have this comic book character who's, like, an outsider and goes into, like, this mystical um, society called Kunlun, I think, and, you know, basically, like, bests all their warriors and becomes the Iron Fist. Um, And it's... The whole, like, origin of the story is pretty problematic. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot, but it basically is. It takes, like, you know, that whole um, white savior mentality of, like, the... Uh, white Western person coming in and being better at a, like this really tr- this traditional um, skill that's like steeped in history, and then like all the other people. Um, you see that in like Last Samurai with Tom Cruise. You see that in that um, what Ronin movie is that with that? Ronin Forty Seven. Ronin Forty Seven with Keanu yeah. Reeves. Uh, it's a very common thing. It's how Hollywood sells their movies because you know you can't have a movie set in Asia without a white guy to lead it. God forbid, I know. I know, right? yeah. <laughs> the thing that I explain Iron Fist with is I just say he's, like, he's so good at cultural appropriation mm-hmm. that he becomes, like, He's the embodiment. The yeah. Like, he's the absolute embodiment. And the thing is, like, I wouldn't have had hope before casting that they were going to change anything about um, the race of Danny Rand mm-hmm. if it were not for the fact that they've been pretty okay about changing other things in the comics so like or in casting so Ben Urich is obviously not white in the comics but mm-hmm. they, um, they that didn't stop them from casting uh, the current Ben Urich that Jerry Hogarth is a man mm-hmm. in most of Iron Fist, and she showed up in Jessica Jones as the ultimate power lesbian. Mm-hmm. Um, they clearly <laughs> have no problems, like, revising some other casting choices. It just doesn't make sense for me mm-hmm. to continue on, like, the weird Orientalist tradition of taking things from Asian cultures and then giving them to white people to be really good at in exactly. the comics. And like, which obviously started in the comics in the 70s, but mm-hmm. it's something that's it looks more and more outdated every time it shows up on screen. Totally agreed. Um, And it's, yeah, even like with some like main characters, like in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., for example, Chloe Bennett is half Chinese, half uh, white. And, you know, they Daisy Johnson in the comics is just like completely like a white person, but then like they changed her, um, her Ethnicity. ethnicity basically. And like they're, everyone's okay with it. And, it just, it seems like they do this a lot with, like, supporting characters because they're like, oh, no one will care about that. Yeah. <laughs> like, Fury, like, Jerry Hogarth, um, and, like, uh, Idris Elba's character in Thor. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just, it seems like if you're just, if you're going to take that step, why not just take that last step and make, you know, your most problematic uh, clone, um, and, well, sorry, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah um, character into, uh, like, a reclamation of Asian culture. Like, for example, one of, like, the big 
qualities about Iron Fist is that he's an outsider. But you can totally do that with an Asian American, for example, or someone who's like a second or third generation immigrant who, or like Asian American who has lost touch with his roots. Um, It's something that you can totally do now, especially in like America where everything is such a mixed um, pot. So it doesn't make sense. And it's just like, it seems like, yeah, they're sticking with some old archaic value that, or like origin that doesn't really, no one will accept anymore. And it's not like they sold the show based on the fact that, oh, we're going to have Finn Jones from Game of Thrones. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's not like they sold Daredevil on like Charlie Cox, who was in Stardust Mm -hmm. and Theory of Everything is going (laughs) to be Daredevil. Like no one has ever picked up a show based on some like pasty white British dude playing a buffed up American. Like no one's ever picked that up and that's never been a selling point, but they watch the character anyway. Mm -hmm. So, and like, yeah, yeah, Iron Fist is not that, well-known of a character that you have to be like, oh, we have to stick with his origins or the fans will be mad. Like, Peter Parker and, like, the casting of another, you know, young brunette white teen as Peter Parker, it makes sense because he's such a big character. But it just, like, it seems like such a missed opportunity to not do that with Iron Fist. And it's really weird because it's kind of like, you know, whenever there's a casting you know, change and the the purists of comic book fans are always mad about, like, race changes or or gender changes or something. But the one time that Marvel sticks with, the like, the original, like, character is when, like... When people get up when in arms. When people get up in arms. Yeah. And it's really interesting because it kind of puts into perspective that Marvel has actually been pretty good about their character yeah. casting choices. Yeah. And now this is kind of like their first fumble. Mm-hmm. Well, tying it back into Daredevil, the thing that always really bugged me with Iron Fist especially is, like I've been saying, it's all the cultural appropriation stuff. And Mm -hmm. then with Daredevil, especially in the first season, which I found a really weirdly sour note, was that it was such a progressive show in so many respects. It was a, It's a 13-hour multilingual movie about Mm -hmm. a blind, like, lawyer fighting gentrification. Uh Like, but at the same time, like, pretty much every single Asian character we met on screen is either one note or coded as evil. Mm-hmm. Like, you've got Nobu and Madame Gao, mm-hmm. who we don't really get a lot of background depth in there, mm-hmm. and hopefully we're going to get some in season two, but, again, that's a big what if. And then pretty much every single uh, blind drug mule from the first season who was yeah. actor, and it just seems so odd in a show where... You know, everybody's speaking all these different languages, mm-hmm. and it's very much about, like, okay, well, here's the interiority of the Russian here. Here's, mm-hmm. like, the interiority of all, like, the um, Guatemalan tenants that are being kicked out. And then to just not provide that for any of the Asian characters on screen was exactly. a little, It's jarring. That's very true. Like, even with, like, the Russian villains and stuff like that, we got, like, their backstory and everything and, like, their connection. And we empathized with them towards the end. Yeah. And, like, we didn't get any of that with the Asian characters. You're right. Yeah, I'm hoping that now with the hand coming into play in season two that maybe you'll get more of that. But it's so easy to paint, like, Asian villains as, like, a one-year yeah. bad guy, which, you know, it's – we have, like, basically three distinguishing stereotypes with us. <laughs> like, the the, bat, the, uh, the bad guy, the emasculated man, and then, like, the sexualized, like, woman – yeah, so. and then Elodie Young is half French, half Chinese, mm-hmm. and I know in the comics, Elektra is obviously Greek, but mm-hmm. I don't know how they're going to change that if at all for the show. But I think yeah. it'd be interesting that she's going to be the first like Asian character who is more has more screen time than probably the new lawyer character they introduce, or even Brett. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
yeah, so I'm excited for her. Um, yeah, POC representation. <laughs> um, okay, is there anything else we want to add about Daredevil? Um, Just that this new press tour has been kicking my butt. Every <laughs> new video that comes out, I can feel my soul leaving my body. I'm so excited. <laughs> so like, They are all adorable. I, know. I think what's like the difference between what I feel for like Daredevil and Jessica Jones is that I feel like this more connection with like the Daredevil characters and the cast members. And it's not like Jessica Jones cast's fault. I think it's just like the source material that they were playing with um, is very dark and gritty and you can all, and you have to like sometimes detach yourself emotionally. Um, And Daredevil is just like, oh, continue. I know it's fine. I do want to plug my love for Karen Page because I think she's a great character. I think she's been deeply underserved by the comics Mm -hmm. and I'm really excited for her in the show because it's clearly not a direction that was ever written into the comics. She's not on cocaine. She's not on heroin. She's not a prostitute. She's not a radio DJ and she's not being murdered by bullseye. Oh Jesus. Yeah. So I'm super happy about that. And then um, on all the press tour things, she and Elodie Young are always like hanging out. And if I get Karen Electra interaction, I might, you might literally never see me on the face of this earth again. (laughs) We'll transcend my moral form. (laughs) Oh, Yeah, I'm so happy. Um, Also, another weird thing that I get, like, weirdly happy about is that this cast is that they're all the same age in their 30s. I don't know why that makes me strangely happy, but I I get, like, um, upset, I guess, with, like, really older male actors and, like, a really young female actor. I think this happened with, like, Arrow with, like... um, Stephen Amell being, like, way older than the actress who plays Felicity. And I was like, uh, you know, I get their chemistry, but then this is just, like, a personal thing. But I like that everyone is the same age in Daredevil. I mean, like, they all play D&D together yeah. because uh, Deborah Ann Wool is a huge D&D fan. Oh and so she just keeps making characters for everybody and forcing them to play on set. That's amazing. That's cute. My favorite thing I've ever learned. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they almost feel like they're on a little class of, student, of like, kids. Because yeah. they're all the same age, even though they're, like, in their 30s or whatever. Yeah, but, they're all, like, but they're all, like, young ish like they're kind of not immature but like yeah. you know you see them on the in the interview and you're like I'd, these kids i'd hang with them yeah which made it so funny because in the first season we I mean you had fisk who was like clearly in his 40s mm-hmm. and obviously there's like somewhat of an age difference between him and matt but they lived in very different hell's kitchens mm-hmm. and they had very different lives and so fisk often is like young man like <laughs> whatever he's addressing daredevil he's like he's i can't believe you're older <laughs> It was just like Vincent D'Onofrio wasn't even that old, but I just thought it was so funny just that they noted the age difference so distinctly on that show. Yeah, and you've got like Nelson and Murdoch who have been lawyers at the at the beginning of the show for seven hours. Yeah, like they were they 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 just passed the bar, which you know I'm assuming they went to college and then they went to law school. So. They're, they're actually probably in their, like, late 20s. Yeah. Yeah, in the show, I think they're, like, 28 or 29. But mm-hmm. all I can think of is how much Foggy and Matt would love Hamilton. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> would lose their minds. They it. would totally stand in line to get tickets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, of um, course, they'd probably, you know, get the, the – some you know, Matt would pull some strings. Oh, point. yeah. <laughs> he would use his uh, – his uh, sympathy, yeah, yeah, his vulnerability points. Uh, oh, speaking of Wilson Fisk, I must make a shout out for Anya, who um, wanted to, us to mention her love for Wilson and Vanessa. There we go. Uh, She's yeah. like, I, I saw a photo of Vincent D'Onofrio's trailer on season two. So something's something's brewing. I, I I I knew that he had to be back because oh, yeah. everyone's always wondering. You know, everyone was wondering like if he's if he's going to come back, and they weren't. They haven't been promoting him in the trailers and the, and all the stuff. But I mean, he's a major villain. Who mm-hmm. I mean, he's in jail. That doesn't mean anything. He can 
get you know pull some strings out at any point he wants. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to see him come back, and I'm pretty sure he, he'll be back in a in a great way. And as much as I wanted Kingpin Vanessa, I'm glad he's back. <laughs> yeah, but let's not underestimate Vanessa. I feel like yeah. you know she's become a very powerful um, head of his gang or mob. mob. Uh, yeah, his mob. <laughs> To on her own, so we'll I see. So. I I hope she also shows up. I really like her too. <laughs> um, I think I wanted to say something else, but I can't remember. I'm just excited for more like uh, Nelson and Murdoch mm. like stuff because uh, I mean a lot of people really hate on Foggy Nelson. I don't understand Why? the hate. I really think he's a great character. I've actually heard people compare him to Jar Jar Binks. No, and I, I think it's unfounded. I think it's incredibly unfounded. I and think the first couple episodes were a little rough for Elden Henry. He I definitely could, came into his own. Yeah, like by the by the point in spoilers for season one, by the point that you know they had their fight and you know mm-hmm. the truth came out about who Matt is, they had this great episode of like flashback to college, and it was like this great like kind of almost a bottle episode of the two of them interacting and trying to That's hash out mm-hmm. what just happened between the two of them. And I'm excited for this their friendship in the in season two because it's obvious that you know it's at the end of season one it looked like foggy was kind of you know getting over his best friend being a, a vigilante mm-hmm. but in season two it looks like you know there's still going to be that that it, those issues um between the two of them and i'm excited for that for that friendship to be explored even more yeah i'm happy that he's not just the comedy mule because he was a little bit at the beginning but then you realize that they're basically a comedy duo with like Matt sometimes as a straight man, but also throwing in, like, a rise, like, one-liner at one point. So, yeah. it's good. I like him a lot. I love the characters in Daredevil. <laughs> I'm excited. I and I'm excited for the three of them to be, like, Nelson and Murdoch. And they're, just, <laughs> they're, they're little lawyer, law firm, you know, trying to you know, stick up for the little guys. Yeah. So. Yeah. I exactly. had this question posed to me, um, which was, how many people do I think are going to find out about Matt Murdock in this new season? And it's, I just keep flashing back to that Mark Wade comic where he's got that I'm not Daredevil shirt on, because <laughs> yeah. he just is so sick of denying it at this point. Mm-hmm. But clearly, I think Karen's going to find out. Yeah. She's like candidate number one. There was some face touching in trailer number one, mm-hmm. which clearly we know leads to uh, that knowledge. Foggy knows. Uh, Electric clearly already knows. Mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if the Punisher knows by the end of this. And if they go into like a kind of Daredevil Volume Two reveal mm-hmm. about who Matt is, I think that'd be a really cool way to end the second season. I think that would be kind good. of the same way they blew up Iron Man, where you're like, oh, okay, yeah. he's gonna be like secret at the end, and then at the end he's like, screw it, I am Iron Man. <laughs> yeah, because there's that one comic panel that I've seen on Tumblr a couple, a couple of times of it's uh, Deadpool and Daredevil and Something about, like, uh, Deadpool talking about Matt Murdock. And Daredevil's like, I'm not Matt Murdock. I don't know who that is. (laughs) And he's like, I didn't ask. (laughs) I didn't ask that. (laughs) Well, for the long time, Iron Fist, his, like, best cameo role was posing as Matt Murdock when Matt Murdock was doing other things. Really? He he wore the Daredevil suit all the time. And the one that I'm so mad that they'll never get to do in the show is when Matt sues himself. (laughs) He sues... Daredevil as Matt Murdock, and then he gets Peter Parker to pose as Daredevil in court, and then they like volley questions back and forth at each other. And I am so mad that this will never come to light in my life. They're all a bunch of dorks, and it would be amazing because um, 
in real life, Andrew Garfield and Charlie Cox are best friends. I know. And, but we, now we have another Spider-Man, so we can't do that. And he's a child. You can still get Andrew Garfield on the show. That's true. <laughs> Not as Peter Parker, but as a character. Yeah. Because what is he doing? Movies? <laughs> he's an actor. Uh, <laughs> I'm a stone. <laughs> oh, yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. Love is dead. Um, I think <laughs> I think that wraps up our conversation on Daredevil. Do you guys have anything else you want to add? I'm just really excited for it. Mm-hmm. Just more women having awesome badass speeches in this yes. season because I'm so sick of all. Like Karen basically killed James Wesley for mansplaining to her the entire. That was amazing. History of her living in the city. Um, so more women doing badass things. Uh, Karen not dying. More Asian characters who aren't evil. Um. More Matt being a ridiculous dork who throws his canes into literally every single alley that he's in. Every dumpster. He's just, whoop. Every single dumpster. <laughs> oh, and now we have to find Luke Cage in a dumpster to complete, like, the true... <gasps> the trio Cage. of dumpsters. Yeah. <laughs> dumpster children. Yes. Exactly. Dumpster like defenders. <laughs> That's perfect. New boy band title. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Um, let's move on to the last segment of our episode. It's our... Really, 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 really like segments. Um, so, actually, I'll go first since mine ties into our Marvel uh, Daredevil discussion. I really, really, really like the new Civil War trailer. It's the second trailer for Captain America Civil War. And there's a lot of stuff happening, but the most important thing that happened was Spider-Man showed up <laughs> at the end. So he is a child. Um, <laughs> He's 12. Hey, everyone. 12 years old. Or no, I should say, hey, everyone. Yeah, so basically what happens in the end of the trailer is um, they're about to, Iron Man's team and Captain America's team about to face off, and then Iron Man pulls out his secret weapon and... Um, underoos. Underoos, yeah. And Spider-Man jumps out, steals Captain America's shield, and webs up his hands, and then says... Hey guys, and then his eyes sort of open up. No, they they go closer. They close in. Yeah. Um, so his eyes are animated. His whole suit, I think, is CGI. Um, and so clearly, the people for Civil War watch Deadpool a lot. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> I think I don't think his suit is entirely CGI. I know his eyes are probably some mm-hmm. form of it. I don't, and I also think they have a practical, like. Uh, purpose to them, I think that he might be, like, zooming in on people. Yeah, there's that Tumblr post. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure we all saw it, but it was, like, <laughs> Iron Man was like, I made this cool feature for your suit, and it's, like, a little, like, microscope or something, like, binoculars <laughs> that you can adjust his eyes, and he's like, for this science. is cool. <laughs> yeah, <for> science. <laughs> and Tony Stark is just like, oh my god, what have I, what, what have I made? <laughs> what have I wrought? <laughs> but but I, I honestly believe like, that, like, you don't just have like if you look clearly at the on the trailer if you zoom in like you could see that they almost look like mechanical. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that 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 it's like it, like I don't think it's like Deadpool where it's just animated for the sake of being animated. I think there's actual purpose to it. Yeah, um, I don't know how I feel about it. It looks a little bit ridiculous to me, and I know that like in the like comics and in like animation, Spider Man's eyes will go back and forth to like express like his emotions and stuff but well, then so like, the iron man suit and yeah, yeah. They all, all, the, all the masks kind of do that. yeah all the masks are like are movable so yeah. it just looks a little bit odder because like i guess we're so used to the spider-man suit being very like static mm-hmm. so um i mean i'm lukewarm about the spider-man rep- uh, appearance i kind of i'm interested in seeing more um, I, otherwise, like, the trailer looked great. 
Scarlett Johansson's wig finally doesn't look like a tragedy. (laughs) Well, it's whenever she's in a Russo movie. Yeah. It's true. Although Although I did like Avengers 1 hair. Yeah. But first Russo movie, I'm not going to lie, was not about that straight cut. Like, Natasha, at least get a side part. Yeah. I didn't like it either. It took me a while to get used to it. I was just like, uh, not feeling it. But now I'm like finally accepted it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And then we got more looks of uh, Black Panther, T'Challa. Yes. He's the only one I'm showing up to this parking lot fight for, honestly. Because, <laughs> like, every time they go to, like, zoom in on the fight, it's, like, just five people who are going to, like, slap each other in the face. Yeah. Like, I I didn't have a lot of hope for Civil War at first. I am tentatively reserving judgment because I've been burned by Age of Ultron. And <laughs> I think we all were. I trust the Russos, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, it's the problem with cramming, like, so many characters into a movie. But I, mm-hmm. I trust the Russos enough to, like, be able to play up the emotional arc of it. And I think that especially with what we've seen in the trailers, it's going to be more about like Steve, Bucky and uh, Tony and kind of like, I'm I'm hoping or guessing like Bucky's role in like assassinating Tony's parents and stuff. And like Steve wanting to defend him and him being a fugitive and that kind of stuff. I just hope they beef up the Steve, Tony like interaction beyond Steve or Steve being like, Bucky's my friend, and Tony being like, so was I. And it's like, um, footage not found. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. I think, I, think, uh, I think the Russos do a really great job of, they did a really great job in Winter Soldier of, of creating a friendship between Black Widow and Cap throughout the, like, the first half of the movie, so that by the, end of the, by the end of the movie, like they're best friends. And I think that they could really elevate Steve and Tony's friendship well in the beginning of Civil War, so that at, at some point when shit goes down and south and through the fan that um, you actually have, like, there is emotional weight behind uh, Tony saying, so was I, to Cap after mm-hmm. that. Because I think that right now, like like you said, footage not found. Like, what we've seen of them in the Avengers movies has not been, like, it's been more of a professional friendship than, yeah. than like, a buddy friendship. And a professional anything, antagonism. Yeah, and yeah. I think they like bicker more than they, they, they like, like they definitely have that bickering, and I think that that helps them when they're that helps along the way of progressing to Civil War because you've always seen like you know when the movie before the movies came out, Civil War came out like ten years ago, so you knew that Cap and Tony have always kind of they were at odds in the comics, and they have like different philosophies of doing things, and it's interesting to see kind of a progression of that. You see that first in Avengers, you see how you know they're they're on opposite sides of kind of like mm-hmm. you know. Cap is from the 40s, and Tony Stark is very much, like, from the now, and that kind of conflicts. Um, and now you've got Steve, who's fully integrated into modern society, and he knows, like, with Winter Soldier, like, he's a modern modern guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Age of Ultron, part of Joss Whedon's writing kind of pushed Steve back to and Tony to being, like, this weird, yeah. like, antiquated, like... That the Avengers 1 dynamic again. Yeah. Back to that, and and Steve has clearly like evolved beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully, with the Russos, you kind of get the best of both worlds, where you get the best of Tony Stark and the best of Steve Rogers at odds with each other. But also, b- before they're at odds, you get to see a friendship like be real. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. up until now, they've been like foreshadowing their fight for too long. So then, like every time they are in the same room, they fight, and you know it it creates a good source of tension and like those those individual movies but it doesn't build up any relationship or like have us invested although like 
to be fair, we're more invested in that than we are in, like, Batman v Superman, for example. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that, you know, Bucky's going to be a main, like, Player. pivot point about around this whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but, and, but we also have a great friendship between Bucky and Cap, mm-hmm. and they're trying to bring that back from Bucky being Winter Soldier. Yeah. So it's, I think it's going to be an emotional movie that's going to pulverize us all. I've yeah. heard pre-reviews described as like, this is an emotional nightmare. And I'm like, oh. So <laughs> I'm excited. I'm in for. <laughs> going to get my emotions torn apart. Also, you've got your buddy Hawkeye and yeah. Ant-Man doing the little bow and arrow yeah. trick. Oh yeah, another great part of the new trailer was um, something that a lot of fans have been hoping that the Hawkeye and Ant-Man would do. It was something that showed up, I think, both in the comics and in the animated Avengers Assemble show, where Hawkeye um, shoots an arrow with Ant-Man on top of it, and then he shoots the arrow through, like, a window, and Ant-Man becomes, like, giant man and punches the guy. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a great scene, and it happens in the Captain America trailer, and they know, like, how much of all fangirls and fanboys we are, so I think, like, it's good. It's both, like, I think a good creative story as well as catering to fans, so I'm excited. Yep. I loved reading about why Hawkeye was Team Steve, and mm-hmm. it's like, well, because he was picked first. <laughs> the most childish thing ever, and I kind of keep hoping that, like, Matt Fraction's Hawkeye will slowly become, like, Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye, and he'll Please. just be like, I'm a mess, and I want pizza, and I was picked first, and Steve didn't ask me. <laughs> I want a Matt Fraction an adaptation of Hawkeye, yeah. either like an, on Netflix or even even just like a singular movie, like, like an indie film. Yeah. yeah. Fun facts: Matt Fraction lives in my town, and I've met him multiple times. What? Oh my god! He's At like a grocery chill. store. Number two, he has written Immortal Iron Fist with Brew Baker oh, yeah. and art by David Asia, who also did Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. So if you're want for any more comics from Six One Six, and you need to catch up for. Things. Listeners, Immortal Iron Fist. So good. Um, I know in the Matt Fraction Hawkeye, they made a lot of fi- um, jokes about the Iron Fist resemblance because he wrote yeah. Iron Fist before Hawkeye. And, and they like, blonde weirdos they're both- from New York. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so then like, they kept yeah. mistaking Hawkeye for Iron Fist. And he's like, why does people keep calling me that? <laughs> so yeah, I- I'm hoping for more yeah, um, Fraction Hawkeye with Renner. Like, I love Renner, even though he's becoming, like, a giant asshole now. Yeah. You know what? He's an asshole, but he's my asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm hoping to see, like, we had, like, a glimpse of good characterization for him in Age of Ultron, one of Mm -hmm. the few good factors of the movie. And then maybe we'll see a continuation of that. I'm crossing my fingers that his family doesn't get fridged, because that's, like, a bad feeling that I'm getting. Um, And I'm hoping it doesn't happen, or at least, like, it's a fake bridging, but, you know, which is yeah. something that, like, Marvel does a lot recently. It's like, oh, it's movies. not real. Yeah. Because we yeah. almost thought that was going to happen to Hawkeye at the end of Age of Ultron. Yeah. they were building up, like, this emotional value that he has now. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, he and then he doesn't die. Yeah. So that was kind of like yeah. a bait and switch on Whedon's part. Yep. Agreed. Um, yeah. So that's my really, really like for <laughs> this week. Cool. Um Melanie, why don't you go next? Well, obviously, I'm really digging the Daredevil trailer and everything coming out about the show. And I will actually be in Hell's Kitchen the day it drops. So I'm going to New York in a couple of days. So I'm totally prepared for my friends to have to just pack me home in a crate. I'm so ready (laughs) for me to just be ruined by this show. Um, In non-Daredevil-related news, uh, I've been watching a lot more Broad City. I've been Mm -hmm. catching up on season three of that. I'm loving every minute of it, and I have finally caught up on this podcast that I love called Call Your Girlfriend, 
which is about long distance friendships. And it's these two really hilarious ladies who just go off on everything. Mm. It'll be everything from like this week in menstruation to like, what is Ivanka Trump's dad doing? Who, who <laughs> told him, who told him to do anything? Um, it's by Anne Friedman and Ami Natuso, and they are great. So highly recommend call your girlfriend, even if you don't have a long distance female bestie. Um, and also Broad City, because I have, like, died laughing at that show before. So, female friendships all the way. All the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, Willoughby, what is your really, really like for this week? Um, a little movie called Brick by Ryan Johnson, <gasps> which, yes! HD, you actually introduced me to. I did. You told me about it, and oh. then I watched it. Oh, you finally watched it. No, I watched it a long time oh, ago. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, but I rewatched it because I went to DuPont Circle to Second Story Books, um, oh, I'm getting and, so nostalgic for that. Right yeah, now. <laughs> and I went to their movie section because they always have like interesting little you know used movies, and Brick was like right there, and I bought it for four bucks, and it was a great decision because I rewatched it last night and I remembered like how intense and ridiculous the movie is, <laughs> and also amazing because like it's basically it's a high school neo noir, and they like it's hard boiled detective work with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Lucas Haas and uh, Emily DeRaven from Lost. Yes. She's, the, she's the girl. She's Emily. Yeah, her <laughs> same name. Um, and uh, it's from 2005, so it's about 10 years ago. And I'm exci- I kinda, I re- I wanted to rewatch it because Ryan Johnson, of course, is directing the new Star Wars movie. And he directed Looper, which was also... I really liked Looper. I haven't seen his other movie... I forget what it's called. Do you think Joseph Gordon-Levitt's going to show up in Star Wars? Now? I hope he's a cameo. I <laughs> I, I, I kind of don't want him to be like a stormtrooper like Daniel Craig was, but I do want yeah. him to be in the movie. I, I like think that Daniel guy. Craig's stormtrooper. No, I like that, but I just don't want it to be like a running yeah. Go- yeah. joke with that. What was that, Melanie? Who was that actor who was the J.J. Abrams friend who was in everything? Greg Grunberg. Yeah, he just showed up as like one of the rebel pilots. Yeah. Like I totally was, would be. Pro. That was a distracting cameo from me. Yeah, so. like, Only if you know that that's... Like JJ Abrams' like best friend. Yeah. Otherwise, he like it works as like he's a pilot. Mm-hmm. But um, so I, when I rewatched Brick, I realized like how great the dialogue is because you kind of have to like really listen and really pay attention because it's so quick. It's also so like the detective novel dialogue that mm-hmm. it like no one speaks like that in real life, mm-hmm. and it really reminded me that like Brian Johnson can really do a lot with writing and directing and being like a no tour mm-hmm. so i'm excited to see by rewatching brick and re-loving it i'm excited to see uh star wars with ryan johnson again but brick is just a phenomenal movie like it like if you really want a great detective noir but but like you for some reason can't handle like 40s like movie, 40s dialogue or, so, or like 40s movie making or whatever even though it's great like if you want like a modern noir like brick is really like mm-hmm. Like, it's just, like, it's, at one point, it's, like, so unbelievable that this any of this would happen in, like, a high school in California, <laughs> but that's kind of the the fun of it, is that it's, like, you it's know, it's, like, it's, like, the movie Election with Reese Witherspoon. Oh, yeah. They're kind of, like, both very similar, like, not stories, they're very different, but, like, this, like, high school setting with, like, real people, like, doing real weird things, but it's also, like, not, like, crazily... Uh, stylized, mm-hmm. so I'm ex- I'm excited for 
many rewatches of Brick now that I own it. Um, and also for uh, Ryan Johnson's Star Wars uh, Episode yeah. 8, which is currently in production. Yeah, they started filming. Before so. we go, I do like the comparison between the original trilogy of like Lucas directing A New Hope, and then there was Kirshner with uh, Empire, and then it was Farquhar for Return of the Jedi. And I like the idea of it being like, not Artur, Artur, and then, like, Journeyman. And so it's, yeah. like, you've got, like, J.J. Abrams, who's, like, franchise custodian mm-hmm. doing Force Awakens. And then you've got Rian Johnson doing uh, the third of this bit. And then, isn't it Colin Trevorrow? Yeah, from Jurassic World July and direct the final one? Safety Not Guaranteed, which yeah. is a much better movie than Jurassic World. I yeah. have mixed feelings about Colin Trevorrow because I did not like Jurassic World. <laughs> have you seen Safety Not Guaranteed? I've not seen Safety Guaranteed. So you got to so. see Safety Not Guaranteed. But that's like the Josh Trank argument. Like, but Chronicle was oh, so yeah. good. Like, yeah, that's true. Fantastic yeah. Four sucks. Like, no, <laughs> no I'm, I'm not saying, yeah, it's not like, it's not like Colin Trevorrow is like, a god, but like he's done better work than Jurassic World, and I understand that you know with Josh Trank, but yeah. I feel like that I feel like there's more to the story than we know. But I can't treat Colin Trevorrow as anybody special because he shows up in my like friend of friends Facebook feed all the time, and it's really weird to like see him. Really? Like, yeah. How is they, that? <laughs> they're like in production on stuff in LA, oh, okay. and he like knew them from way back, I guess. And oh, so like god. every time it'll be like Colin Trevorrow, like comment. <laughs> <That's so weird. laughs> what are you doing on Facebook? Don't you have like billions of dollars to laugh at, like a dragon guarding a horde? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, that sounds like what he'd be doing. Yeah. But, uh, That's but what I, I do. But, yeah. but Melanie, I, I, Melanie, I do like your like uh, comparison of of how they pick directors for uh, for these, and I think it. I, th- I think that makes sense because we've seen what happens when it's just one guy doing three movies at once uh, who has, like, for all... Complete control. Yeah, for all... Palpatine over there. For, yeah, he really went from being Luke Anakin Skywalker to being Darth Vader. Yep. Like... It was his personal journey. Yeah. It's like the Dark Knight. It's like you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Exactly. Yeah. And George and, Lucas definitely became the villain. And I think J.J. did that with Star Trek Into Darkness and said, you know what, I'm just going to do one movie, just one movie, and then move on. Yeah. Good. Good choice, J.J. Yeah. He's, I think he's a better producer. I mean, he's a great director. I really love some of his stuff. Mm-hmm. But he's also a great producer. Like, yeah. He can do... he tra- I will say he trades in nostalgia very well, which made him very good for Star Wars 1 and for Star Trek 1. I would not be on, I was not on board for Into Darkness, and I would not be on board for an Abrams-directed sequel for yeah. Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, also, let's t- put a tally on how many times can uh, Willoughby mentioned Star Wars on this podcast. I always, I always bring it back. I talked about Brick and I brought it to Star Wars. That's yeah. how I do it. I mean, I'm always thinking about Star Wars, to be fair. Well, so. yeah. Um, yeah, thank you for joining us in this episode, Melanie. Um, mm-hmm. And everyone who is listening, please let us know what you think about upcoming season two of Daredevil, of yeah. Captain America Civil War's second trailer, of the um, of Broad City, and um, what was the podcast? Call Your Girlfriend. Call Your Girlfriend, <laughs> and also of Brick by Ryan Johnson, and also of Ryan Johnson's upcoming directorial um, endeavor project, yeah, endeavor Star Wars episode Small eight, project. yeah, that tiny project. Also, follow Ryan Johnson on Twitter because he's actually really funny. Oh, hi. Okay. <laughs> there we go. Um, and if you want to follow me or my podcast on Twitter, we're WIWLN Podcast, um, and we're on iTunes, so we're not hard to find. <laughs> yes. Um, and Willie, where they can where can they find you? Uh, they can find me at Willoughby Dobbs, also on Twitter, and I'm at Htranbui on Twitter. 
Oh, and where can they find the Millennial Falcon Podcast? Uh, you can find the Millennial Falcon Podcast uh, on our WordPress. It's millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. We're on Facebook if you search for us in their, in their search bar. We're on Twitter at Falcon Podcast, and we're also on iTunes. All right. Thank you for joining us, guys, and thank you, Melanie, for joining us this episode. This was great. Thank you. Great. Bye. Bye. Bye.